0: We are going to have recession, yes, someday. We always do. We're bound to have one. I don't think we're going to have one in 2019. And first and foremost, you know, we don't want to be dismissive of any of the risks out there, but we must be mindful that global economy is weakening, but the global economy has never led the U.S. into recession. From LPL Financial, welcome to Market Signals. I'm John
1: Lynch. And I'm Ryan Dietrich.
0: Hello, Ryan. Hey, John. How's it going today? I'm pretty well.
1: Thank you. Pretty well. Spring training has started, so I'm I'm excited. I know. You look outside, and it's, well, obviously, we're just south of Charlotte and Fort Mill, South Carolina. A little cold outside, and the rest of the country's cold, but spring training is upon us.
0: So there's, there's optimism in the air. I was in <laughs> Cleveland this week, and thank you to everyone out there. I really enjoyed my time with you. And uh, came back to Fort Mill, South Carolina, and it was about the same temperature and same weather conditions. So pretty, pretty uh, challenging for uh, uh, the fine people of, in the great state of South Carolina. But they will, they will overcome, I'm sure. But yeah, fired up about spring training. You know, you're a Reds fan, correct? <laughs>
1: I guess the answer is yes. My boys are bigger Reds fans, obviously. growing mm-hmm. grew up in Ohio like I did most of my life. I mean, yes, we root for the Reds and you know, DirecTV. I pay extra money for the baseball package. And my son was just telling me yesterday – The Reds' first games coming up soon and spring training, and he's he's like we got the we got the 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 package right, Dad. We got that baseball package. We do, (laughs) Sebastian. We do. So yeah, he he he's pumped. They are pumped. I I joke my kids about the last two Reds fans, but yeah, they did a lot of trades this year. We've got half the Dodgers. It seems seems like we got a bunch of the old Dodgers players from last year. So we'll. We'll see it's all about pitching right in the end it's all about pitching and we'll see how their pitching does but the Reds have had a rough rough stretch for the last 3 or 4 years so it's all about expectations we'll just take 75 wins and call it a win we'll see what happens well, this
0: year Well that's the beauty of spring training right and uh, as you know everyone was, has a chance I was born in the Bronx so my affiliations lie accordingly and uh, <laughs> that's right you know, congratulations to the Red Sox last year. And I always tell everybody, you know, that 28th World Series always seems to be the toughest one to win. So <laughs> hopefully this year will be it. So we'll see. That's funny. That's well, we're, this call is not ESPN Sports Center, right? So we should probably focus on LPL Market Signals podcast instead. And what we'd like to do for you today, folks, is to. Uh, kind of reiterate you know Ryan and I are on the road quite a bit meeting with our financial advisors and our investors you know we thought today we'd talk about frequently asked questions they're in our uh, weekly market commentary this week they're in our weekly economic commentary we're up two months from the low now right, right. the markets up north of what 15 16 percent S&P of 18%, 18 percent 18 caps on the s yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah so if you look at an average stock you know, equal weighted stock uh, but nonetheless, we've got a a real good rally, and I just noticed in the questions I've received and Ryan and I were discussing it, you know, there's some skepticism brewing, mm-hmm. right? And I think that uh, by reviewing some of these frequently asked questions, hopefully that'll provide you all with, you know, some sort of perspective as to what's happening, because it's really been, it's been a phenomenal rally. Uh, and when we think about the depths, not only that the market hit, but really the, investment community sentiment in late December when uh, the S&P broke through the triple bottom as we've shared on previous podcasts with you all. The market always likes to retest, history has suggested, right? But there are unique, doesn't always, and there's unique circumstance whether you look at hedge fund outflows in December, the worst monthly outflow in a, in a decade of this cycle, and also just the poor messaging or poor understanding of the Fed's message. Maybe we don't, maybe we won't hit that 2350 on a retest, but right now it does look like support is in that 2600 to 2625 type range on the S&P 500. If something were to go wrong, trading currently, call it 2775 on the right. S&P. So we just thought we'd, you know, talk about some of the things, you know, questions certainly from that rally You know, it's been an impressive rally. We didn't really have time to set up any base camp, so clearly a V from call it 2750 in early December uh, down to 2350 on the S and P on uh, Christmas Eve, and then rallied all the way back. So uh, very curious to see. But let's uh, let's talk about some of those frequently asked questions. We have about a half a dozen of them. So Ryan, I'll let you go first.
1: Yeah, John. So we'll start with an easy one, right? Probably the number one question I think we all get on the road is, are we going to have a recession? Yeah, that's an easy one. So, you know, John, here's the question, right? So the recent economic data that we've seen has been weak. You know, you look at just last week. Overall, the uh, December durable goods orders continue to be weak. CapEx, companies investing themselves a little bit worse than we want to see. Housing data continues to be weak. Manufacturing, not just here in the U.S., but globally. Some of those are hitting beneath the magical 50 level, which suggests the expansion versus retraction. Not here in the U.S., but we did some good services numbers here in the United States last week. But overall, I think it's safe to say... Most of the economic data has been uh, depressed and and a little weak the last couple months. Yet, like you said, we're off to a really really good start with global equities going higher. But that's a big question, John. It's an easy answer, right? Are we going to have a recession in twenty nineteen with some of this economic data that's definitely been not dropping off a cliff, but significantly weakening?
0: Well, thank you, sunshine. Uh, exactly, appreciate yeah. that question. Put the ball in the tee and hit it. Um, there you go. We are going to have recession, yes, someday. We always do. We're bound to have one. I don't think we're gonna have one in 2019. And uh, first and foremost, you know, we don't wanna be dismissive of any of the risks out there, but we must be mindful that global economy is weakening, but the global economy has never led the U.S. into recession. Right, exactly. That's something the U.S. always leads, and the perspective we wanna provide for our advisors and our investors is that the economy is slowing, but still growing, uh, U.S. GDP grew at about a three percent clip in 2018, and we're projecting growth of about two and a half percent. I think it's very important to make the delineation between ISM surveys and industrial production data. For example, when you look at the Institute for Supply Management surveys on manufacturing. The numbers plunged, what, Ryan, from 59 to 54, from November to December?
1: The, the war, One of the worst drops since the financial crisis. Exactly. exactly. But, but we we, we rallied
0: back mm-hmm. to, what, 55, 56. Exactly. Uh, Better than expected. Yeah, mm-hmm. and, and right. the next month. So I think that's really important for everyone uh, to keep in mind when you think about – the survey aspect, but then you compare that to the industrial production or the output data from manufacturing, the actual data that wasn't nearly as severe as people feared and actually, you know, still signals strength. So uh, we're mindful of the data. But again, we still think the economy is poised for two and a half percent growth. We've talked in the past podcasts about issues relative to fiscal stimulus. The public discourse is that fiscal stimulus is waning. We dispute that vehemently. When you look at tax cuts, repatriation, reduced regulation, the fiscal stimulus accounted for what, call it 1.5% of GDP. In 2018, and this year we're looking for it to be 2.1 percent of GDP. Right. That's 425, More. 450 billion in fiscal stimulus. Whether you think about tax relief for consumers, small businesses, uh, immediate expensing provisions for big businesses, and uh, the second tranche of a 300 billion dollar two-year government spending plan. So uh, that is significant, even if the worst-case scenario, which we don't believe will happen, we're not looking for the 25% on the $200 in tariffs to be enacted. We think uh, not a resolution, but a path toward progress will be made on trade. And to the degree that we start to see that, we believe businesses will renew their capital expenditure program, given we're in year two of this immediate expensing window, they need to take advantage of that. And we think they're going to do that.
1: Uh, Great points, John. You know, like we said, We recently had a retail sales number that just dropped off the map, right? And it almost looked like kind of just it didn't belong with some of the other data. It was so poor. And when you take a look at what Walmart said, what Visa said, what Amazon said, they said we had some really good holiday spending. So it's kind of like that one report, is it due to the government shutdown? Just kind of a one-off again. We don't want to ignore one-week data point. But when you look at what companies are saying and people spending money, I mean, the U.S. consumer is approximately 70% of GDP, that's the largest part of GDP. So the consumer is a big thing. Clearly, we had a big drop in consumer confidence uh, after what happened in the fourth quarter. But consumer confidence came back a little bit here with some of the recent data. So overall, what companies said people have been spending, it's still you know, two steps forward, one step back, I think.
0: Well, hearing you say that, I'm thinking of uh, that great economist, Master Yoda who would say, a single data point does not a trend make. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, I'd, to have to, I'd have to attribute the recent retail sales report. I think there's some, I don't know, chicanery, skullduggery, mm-hmm. tomfoolery going on in the numbers relative to the, the government shutdown because it doesn't match with what we saw from the National Retail Foundation for uh, holiday sales. It doesn't match with Visa, Walmart amazon you know so i I just i don't see that i i struggle with that data point and you know we'll obviously pay a lot of close attention but when you have a fully employed economy with wages going at 3.2 percent on an annual basis i'm real hard to see that print there so i take greater solace from the year-over-year holiday sales print as opposed to the january sales print Uh, i take greater solace from uh, leading companies like amazon walmart and visa and uh, i think that combined with a fully employed economy with wages rising at 3.2 percent, I think that report will turn out to be an anomaly, uh, and we'll know that next month.
1: Yeah, the one thing that I read about, and maybe we'll move on to a new subject here, but you look at um, what happens at Christmas time anymore. I know my family specifically, everybody gives each other gift cards, you know, and what, what we read was these gift cards, when you buy them, that actually doesn't count the retail sales. Re- those retail sales don't count until you actually use the gift card. And I saw on our, at the Dietrich family household, right on our fridge, we had all these gift cards from Christmas just sitting there. Um, so you know, if other people are similar to that, maybe that could be a small part to potentially this big miss that we had. Is it, it just consumers like to give each other gift cards now for the holiday season? I thought so.
0: you had market technical charts on your refrigerator to teach your children about that. No, stuff. that's just
1: that's just Gus trying to draw a straight line. That's is that all right? <laughs> okay. It's, it's, it's a, anything but. But he's getting better, you know. No, nonetheless, it's kind of funny. So John, the one... retail sales cards, right? Will be shown up in inflation data as well, right? Exactly, yeah. So let, let's move on then. So like you said, one more thing on the economy, then we'll talk about stocks and finish things up. But on the economy, inflation data continues to be tepid, I think, at best. You know, core CPI continues to hover around 2%, maybe a little bit above... Obviously, globally, we're seeing weak inflation data as well. So this is one of the common questions. The first one is, hey, are we going to have a recession? The other big big economic question I know both of us receive is, how worried should we be that inflation just continues to kind of trudge along at 2% and it can't quite seem to pick up? Or do we want inflation to pick up? And then, of course, if it does, then everyone's worried about too high inflation. So it's a double-edged sword sometimes. But what do you think about inflation here, John? Yeah,
0: I think Milton's, Milton Friedman's spinning in his grave, right? Because he had yes. the whole idea that inflation is always and everywhere monetary phenomenon. And the Federal Reserve and ECB and European Central Bank and the Bank of Japan all engaged in monetarist activity by essentially printing currency to battle deflation. Well, they, they, they won in beating deflation, but they really didn't win over the past decade to ignite inflationary pressures, even though the unemployment rate is stated at 4% print right now. So it's really, it's quite an unusual circumstance. I attribute it to central banks artificially suppressing short-term interest rates for a decade, Uh, whether you look at globalization, whether you look at boomers retiring. uh, There there are a lot of factors in there, but nonetheless, the the combination of all of them is resulting in a uh, benign inflationary environment. And the fact that central banks quintupled the size of their balance sheet and we only have a 2% print on inflation when historically it's around four, uh, wages typically are four, 4.5% before the Fed gets scared. Right. And we're, we're barely at three. Again, we're gonna have recession someday. Uh, the cycle most likely will just tire out and maybe it's going to be the mother of all presidential campaigns. Uh, And maybe latter half of 2020, people just tire out and stop spending for two consecutive quarters. And we see one quarter of 1% decline for two consecutive quarters. We can say we've been there, done that. Uh, The idea that we're going back to 2008 and 2009, though, we just don't see the data. We don't see the leverage in the system, which was a leveraged excess, which enabled the economy to grow at 5% turned out to be a leveraged risk which caused the economy to plunge by a similar amount. We just don't see that currently. We've been growing at about a two percent rate for a decade. There's great alarm that we're going from three percent to two and a half percent, but this really could be the sec two thousand nineteen could turn out to be the second best year
1: of the cycle, which is kinda curious. Wouldn't that be something mm-hmm. so so that's the economy. So let's shift gears now and talk about equities and stocks a little bit. You know John at LPL Research we kinda look at three pillars to our investments. We look at valuations fundamentals, and technicals. We follow those three things. Maybe let's take a question on each of those. Maybe we'll start with fundamentals. So, you know, the big question I think I get on the road and just, I guess it would have been earlier this week when I was presenting the question was earnings, you know, fundamentals. Can earnings justify the moves that we have recently seen? You think about it you know, what, one ish approximately. Am I right on that? Operating well, earnings for the and is, is what most people S&P expected, and a lot of cuts have come. Like we just talked about, there's a big fear on the worst uh, fourth quarter that we've seen since financial crisis, worst December since the Great Depression. We've seen a lot of cuts um, when it comes to earnings. You look at fourth quarter earnings so far, what just happened, coming in right around 14 15%. Better than expected, pretty solid. Companies, again, looking forward, are still saying there's some positive things out there. So if earnings can come in, Call it seven or eight percent this year, which is above long-term earnings growth. I think earnings justify some of this move, and maybe even get a little more price appreciation before the rest of the year. What do you think about earnings here driving this bull market? Uh, continue to drive this bull market.
0: I think kind of like the economy. When I said growing, slowing but growing. Yep. I think perspective for investors is that, and this is I've, I've something I've shared in previous podcasts. Profits were at record levels in 2018. They are still at record levels in 2019. They're just growing at a slower rate. Yet we we're discounting record profits growing at a slower rate than last year, but an historically average rate this year. And we're discounting those profits at interest rates still well below historical averages. So I know that's a mouthful, but that, that means that, yeah, stocks can keep going up because of profits. Um, when we printed our 172 Hundred and seventy two dollar and fifty cent estimate for S P operating earnings. Wall Street consensus was at hundred and seventy-seven and change. So we 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 printed that in like late October, early November. Given the market sell off, Wall Street consensus has, in my opinion, completely caved in and now consensus is below one hundred and seventy dollars. Now given our forecast for core CPI inflation of two and a quarter to two and a half percent on a trailing 12-month basis, I think a P.E. ratio of 17 times trailing estimates is not swinging for the fences from a risk factor, particularly given the low level of interest rates. And as we've discussed on previous podcasts uh, and all our reports, the likelihood that the Fed has paused at least for the first half of the year, if not all of 2019. Consequently, 17 P.E., 17.5 P.E. maybe on 172-ish in operating earnings. You know, that's that's 3,000 every time you plug, pl- plug it into the calculator. So I'd like to say it's year-end. Maybe it's 12 months from today. Who knows? But directionally, given what we see on profits, given the pattern that uh, profits and corporations typically beat expectations this cycle by, what, 300 basis points? So
1: approximately, right. Mm-hmm. Like clockwork. Yeah.
0: So I think that's something to keep in mind as well for investors. So headline risk is there. Don't want to be dismissive of any of that stuff. But the underlying fundamentals suggest to us uh, historically average earnings growth in 2019.
1: Excellent. So the next question I think that I tend to get, I'm sure you do too, is valuations. We just hit on fundamentals. Now we're going to talk about valuations. And now then we're going to finish up with um, market technicals. But valuations, hey, Ryan or John, whoever's up presenting, stocks are overvalued you know this is a bubble stocks are overvalued earnings don't justify the move look at pe multiples john i'll say a little bit then i'll hand it back over to you you know we look at s&p 500 forward pe earnings ratio right now it's only at 16 that is right in line with the last couple of decades then when you factor in inflation like we've just laid out and discussed still on the lower end of where it's been the last six decades low inflation low interest rates a pe multiple of 16 is actually one could argue relatively cheap, so that's something to be aware of. But John, I know there's a different way of looking at stocks. You know, the uh, S and P five hundred yield versus the ten year yield, called the equity risk premium, and it suggests maybe stocks are actually really undervalued relative to bonds. Take a take us into that a little bit and explain what that is. Yeah, even even before I get to that, if okay. I may,
0: let's emphasize to our listeners and as we've emphasized to our advisors and and uh, investors and clients, it's important not to look at PEs in a vacuum or myopically, right? You have to look right. at PEs relative to interest rates and inflation. And if inflation is barely 2% or a little over 2% after a decade of central bank largesse, <laughs> you know, something's up, right? And if, historically, CPI grows 3.5% or 4% since World War II, and we could barely get a 2% print sustainable, that has to speak for something, right, on multiples. Uh, also, the 10-year Treasury, if you want to look at that, as the benchmark. Since World War II, it's averaged, what, 675, 680, 685, something Mm -hmm. like that. And we're barely, what we're 400 base points below that. That's got to be worth something for multiples. So you factor those two things in and look at inflation and interest rates. Again, we don't think a 17 trail is expensive. Now, to your point about the equity risk premium, we included that in our weekly market commentary. And again, we don't want to get too geeky there, but I think it really shows the importance of the interplay between interest rates and market PEs and ultimately profit and market growth because what we look at for the equity risk premium now if you're driving hang on you know I don't want you to fall asleep at the wheel here. we're basically taking the inverse of the market PE on a forward basis all right so we're trading 16 times forward earnings uh, currently so you take the inverse of 16 right 16 over 1 or 1 over 16 is about six and six and a quarter percent. Mm-hmm. And then you look at the 10-year Treasury yield, currently call it 275. If you subtract 275 from the 6% or so, the inverse of the PE, that's 325 basis points right there. That's the equity risk premium. Uh, Historically, that number is significantly lower. And consequently, when we have looked at uh, periods where the equity risk premium is this great over the last 50 years uh, a little more than 50 years right we go back not quite to world war ii so maybe we go back to 1960 i think the data suggested so anytime that risk premium was between two and three percent the forward 12-month return on the s p was 13 percent if it's greater than three percent which is where it is currently oddly enough it's a little lower and it's only only 12 percent uh so i think investors need to keep that in mind because a lot of co- investors ask us about computerized trading. A lot of the computerized models are based on this equity risk premium from a valuation standpoint. So we strongly believe there is upside to the markets when you look at this data point solely.
1: Yeah, I mean, clearly what we just discussed there is a little higher level. So definitely in the. Um Show notes will have the chart that we just discussed, but also in our weekly market commentary, we kind of dive in there. But the bottom line is future returns can be stronger than average when you have an equity risk premium up over three like we do currently. So, John, the last thing that we're going to talk about today and kind of our three pillars is market technicals. Mm -hmm. Now, I'll kind of talk a little bit and hand it over to you, but, you know, obviously we've had a big rally. S&P is finally back above its 200-day moving average. Now, here's the big thing. We like to look at the advanced decline line. Advanced decline line is simply how many stocks go up versus how many stocks go down on a cumulative basis. This, I guess, would have been last week, John. The NYC advanced decline line, the NYC common stocks only advanced decline line, the OEX 100, SP and p 100, and the S&P 500. All those advanced decline lines made new all-time highs. Small caps did not, but, you know, it's not perfect. So that's a lot of market breadth. I, I remember various times in my history when market breadth tends to lead price. So we've got various things participating on the upside, which is a really, I think a really strong thing. That doesn't mean you can't have a 10% correction. That not mean you can't have a 15% correction. But I don't want to say never because you know compliance doesn't like that word, but it's extremely rare yeah, to have a new guarantee bar- exact- or will. Yeah, 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 use those <laughs> bad words; those are very bad words. But you know, in the midst of bear markets, you don't have advanced decline lines breaking out to new highs. So that's a positive. The other thing I wanted to touch on, though, just uh, two weeks ago, we had over ninety percent participation, participation. right? Participation, ninety percent of SP 500 components above their fifty-day moving average. What in the world does that mean? Well, that's one of the highest levels ever. We went back to using Bloomberg data back to nineteen ninety. Three months later, after of stocks are above their 50-day moving average. The S&P 500 was higher 12 out of 13 times. Three- and six-month returns, really solid. Again, all the data you can find in the weekly market commentary. But a super overbought market, like we are in, you could argue right now, near-term, sure, some type of correction could make sense. But three- and six-months later, it tends to resolve higher. It's the market's way of saying, hey, something's something's really strong here. This could be a positive thing, not a negative thing. And the data for the 12-month on
0: that forward returns when you had 90% above their 50-day was north of 12%. Very Similar number. Very consistent <laughs> to the equity risk premium. Exactly. Very curious how some of these data points work, right? When they all work together, maybe, maybe, maybe there's something behind this. But I know we're just about out of time, so I appreciate that insight, Ryan. And uh, to conclude, just recognize that we wanted to share with you some of our frequently asked questions, relative to the economy we don't see recession this year we're going to have recession someday but the idea that we can go back to something like 2008 2009 we don't see fundamentally in the data our best guess right now is a late 2020 early 2021 this economy just tires out and potentially the catalyst for that is not only the age and or duration of the cycle but what could be a very, very challenging presidential election season, which could weigh on sentiment temporarily. So, uh, But the fundamental data, fully employed economy, wages rising at a healthy rate. The real key is getting a bid back on trade. Any progress on trade, that results in businesses investing in their futures again, which would increase not only CapEx, increases productivity. Which prevents margins from deteriorating significantly. A more productive workers is a more profitable company, and extended duration for the cycle, economically as well. So we think that's terribly important. Then when you look at valuations, fundamentals, and technicals, we see reason for this market to continue to chug along. We are not suggesting by any stretch it's gonna be a straight line to 3,000. We think the last 15% was the easy part, and the next 10% or so I think is gonna be very difficult. But when you go through difficult periods,
1: focus on the fundamentals. That's right. What's not going to be difficult, though, is turning on your TV and watching a little spring training. So everyone enjoy spring training? Hopefully better weather is coming and maybe a continued bull market and decent economy this year. So, John, thank you very much. Had fun. Take it away. Well, that's it for this
0: episode. Join us next week when we'll continue to analyze and discuss market signals. Stay connected by following us on Twitter, at LPL, or at LPL Research. Please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. LPL Market Signals is presented and produced by LPL Financial. I'm John Lynch.
1: And I'm Ryan Dietrich. The opinions voiced in this podcast are for general information only and are not intended to provide or to construed as providing specific investment advice or recommendations for any individual security. Any economic forecast set forth in this podcast may not develop as predicted, and there can be no guarantee the strategies promoted will be successful. All performance reference is historical and is no guarantee of future results. Investing involves risks, including potential loss of principle, No investment strategy or risk management technique can guarantee return or eliminate risk in all market environments. All information referenced in the podcast is believed to be from reliable sources. However, we make no representation as to its completeness or accuracy. This research material was prepared by LPO Financial, LLC. Securities and advisory services offered through LPL Financial, a registered investment advisor, member FINRA, and SIPC. To the extent you are receiving investment advice from a separately registered independent investment advisor, please note that LPL Financial is not an affiliate of and makes no representation with respect to such entity. The investment products sold through LPL Financial are not insured deposits and are not FDIC, NCUA insured. These products are not bank credit union obligations and are not endorsed, recommended, or guaranteed by any bank, credit union, or or any government agency. The value of this investment may fluctuate. The return on investment is not guaranteed and loss of principal is possible.